Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. Ancient words ever true. Changing me, changing you. The song that we've sung this morning to introduce our time in the Word um, is appropriate. And, and I hope that that's the prayer of your heart, that God will use His Word to change you. He has done that with me over the last week as I've prepared. Um, he's done that with me in many ways over the years. But especially now, um, diving into Psalm 119, it's been a good time the last couple weeks actually. For those that have been here um, and are here regularly, you know we've been walking through the songbook of Jesus. Pastor Jesse has done that for us uh, and, and has taken us through some of the different songs that would have been sung when Jesus was here on earth. And, and as we've gotten wrapped up in these ancient songs, we've seen lots of different ways that, that the Word can impact us and that the Word can proclaim God's goodness and His mercy and His Uh, the treasures of His love. Uh, Today, what I want to do is I want to look at Psalm 119. Um, Psalm 119 is is a chapter in the Bible that's rather famous, mostly because it answers a trivia question. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. (laughs) Psalm 119. It's the longest of the songs in the songbook. It's the longest of any of the chapters in the Bible. 176 verses long. And it's also, it's not just long, it's also complex. And by complex, I don't mean it's hard to understand. You can actually open it and read it pretty easily. It's, the words are not difficult, and, and it's fairly easy to get through, but don't let that fool you. The language is rich and deep, uh, and yet it, it has one powerful, consistent message through the longest chapter of the Bible. It has one thing to say, and it says it very, very well. And much like that song we just sang about the ancient words, Psalm 119 was written to extol the praises of God's Word. To to proclaim the goodness of the Scriptures, of the Bible, of what it is that God gave us in His written Word. The psalm challenges us. It challenges us to be fully immersed in that word, to to trust it, to follow it, to to love it. And it does this with some simple words. It does this with some very complex ideas. It's written in a way that the simplest child can read it and understand it. It's written in a way that the most scholarly among us can can dig and tear and, and, and... rip into it and come away edified and grown. Some of the most powerful thinkers of of our Christian faith have dwelt long in Psalm 119. If you want to get a flavor, Charles Spurgeon is a good example. He wrote a commentary on this chapter of the Bible, 120 pages on Psalm 119. But for those that want to get serious... (laughs) I would commend to you a Puritan preacher by the the name of Thomas Manton. One chapter, Psalm 119, comprises his commentary of three volumes, some 1,600 pages. 
There's much here. It's very rich. And yet, even in, in the complexities and in the richness, the psalm was a common memory work for Jewish children. Young children were, were encouraged and expected many times to memorize it verbatim, the whole thing. And so, from the memory work of children to the scholarly work of the Puritans, this is what we have to deal with this morning. This is our challenge. In one morning, getting around one great passage of Scripture. And how do we go about it? Where do we start? Um, Well, one thing I'm not going to do, and this is a little different for us, I'm not going to read it, at least not all of it. Um, If you read it through out loud at a comfortable pace, it takes about 20 to 25 minutes. Um, You can go online and listen to it in audio form. I did that a couple times. It's actually very helpful to listen to the words pour over you. Uh, Some of you may know the the preacher um, uh, Ligon Duncan. He uh, one summer spent several weeks in Psalm 119, and his first sermon was a five-minute introduction and read the psalm. And his sermon was 30 minutes long. (laughs) And so... I hope some of you have read it in preparation for being here. Um, I hope you will go home and read it. I hope you will spend time in it. But, uh, but I'm going to do it a little differently this morning. We are going to read parts of it. We're going to read um, sections of it, sort of as snapshots to capture the flavor of what this psalm is all about. And so for those that like to follow along, you can find Psalm 119. It's fairly easy to find because the comprises multiple pages. Um, and, and whether you want to follow along or not, one of the things, in addition to being the longest psalm or the longest chapter in the Bible, one of the things that a lot of people understand about Psalm 119 is it's written not just as a poem, but an acrostic poem, which is a fancy word for it uses the letters of the alphabet. So if you have your Bible open, in most translations at the very beginning, Instead of a a title about who wrote it or what kind of a song it might be, it just has the word Aleph, A-L-E-P-H. And and that actually is the Hebrew letter A, the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And then if you go down another eight verses just before verse 9, it's got Baith or Beth, the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And the reason is because verses 1 through 8, When you read them in Hebrew, they all start with that letter. Every line starts with the letter A, Aleph. And then verses 9 through 16, another eight lines of the song, start with the letter B. Think about it. 176 lines. The first eight, one letter. The next eight, one letter. The next eight, one letter. Think about writing in English. The the Hebrew language has 22 letters. And so you take 22 letters, eight lines each, 176 verses. You can do the math. Think about the English alphabet, A through Z, 26 letters, not all that different. Imagine writing a poem, eight lines, starting with A, all ascribing glory to the word of God. Eight lines, starting with the letter B, all praising what God's word does. 
It's a complex. Think about Q. <laughs> Eight lines starting with the same letter. This was not a simple work. This was not a simple song. And yet, you can pick any line in the song, and it could be a memory verse. It's that powerful. And not one of the 176 verses repeats another. They're all different, and yet they all have one common theme. That's kind of what I mean by complex. There's a lot to it. But, but the ABC structure, the Aleph, Beth, Gemel, Hebrew structure, allowed children to memorize it because, oh, okay, I need eight lines with A. I can, that gives me sort of a jumping off point for trying to remember what those lines were. And so this morning my goal is not necessarily to teach you everything I can about Psalm 119. Um, my goal is rather the opposite. I, I don't want you to walk away feeling that you have a complete understanding I want you to walk away feeling like, I want to know more. I want you to to go away from here impressed, not with what I say, but with what God's Word says, so that it will compel you, it will move you to say, I need to know more. And so usually a sermon on a Sunday morning ends with some real practical application points, right? Here's your to-dos, here's some things you can do to implement this. I'm actually starting with my application point. And I'll be ending with the end of Psalm 119. And the application point this morning is very simple. I want you to go home motivated to commit yourself to this word of God. I I, I want all of us to, to want to deepen our relationship with our scriptures. I want all of us to to be willing to spend the time to get to know what the Bible says. And, and for some of us who, who do that on a regular basis, that means just committing and, 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 um, and, and really digging in to what we've already done at one level. And to some of us, that means we just need to start. There's lots of tools to help you start we would love to share some of those tools with you. But, but the bottom line is, you got to read it. So pick it up off the desk. Pull it down off the shelf. The Word of God is, is a sword, Scripture says. It's a weapon to be used in many ways. A weapon is useless hanging on the wall or sitting in the closet. A weapon must be wielded. And so my challenge to you and my point of application is simple that God would overwhelm you with the beauty and the depth and the power of his word so that you can't help but explore it. And I am confident that even with my lofty goal in mind, the Holy Spirit has his own purposes for why he has you here and what he will say to you as we treasure God's word together. So I just want to pray and ask that God would do that work and then we'll dive in. And Father, we do recognize that your Spirit is who guides us into truth, into understanding, and into a knowledge of these scriptures that's meaningful and that that shapes us and molds us and causes us to reflect your image more sharply. And so God, I pray that you would allow the words of your scripture to do its work this morning here in this place. Would you cause us to marvel at what you have written and what you have said, and would you 
cause us to fall more deeply in love with the God of the Word as we study the Word of our God. Through Christ, the Word of God made flesh, we trust that you will do your work in us. Amen. So, if you've ever traveled a great distance or gone on a meaningful trip, you know how frustrating it can be to get home and try to share your story. How do you communicate the grandeur of the Grand Canyon or the majesty of the Swiss Alps with the picture on your phone, (laughs) right? How do you communicate the hustle and bustle of Mexico City or the chaos of driving through the streets of Manila with a couple of still images? That's sort of the task that we face with Psalm 119. How do we communicate 176 verses of deep devotion to God's Word in just a few minutes? And so actually I took my format for, for the sermon this morning from a verse in Psalm 119. Psalm 160, or sorry, verse 164 says, Seven times a day I praise you, God, for your righteous rules. And it sort of struck me one day as I read that particular verse, if seven times a day was good for the psalmist, why not for us? And so what I've tried to do is I've tried to take seven snapshots of Psalm 119. And and I want to just show you my photos this morning as I try to share with you my tour that I cannot possibly communicate in one morning. But since we can't cover all 176 verses in the time we have, this will leave you plenty of unexplored territory that you can go and dwell on and treasure and dig into. But my seven snapshots this morning boil down to this. Seven praises, as the psalmist said, or seven blessings that we can see in the Word of God. We praise God because, first of all, it shapes us. And it purifies us. We praise God because it separates us from the world. We praise God for His Word because it demonstrates God's promises to us. God's Word displays God's character to us. God's Word gives wisdom to us. God's Word not only gives wisdom, God's Word gives life to those who read it. And ultimately, our final picture will be God's Word points us to Jesus. And even in this psalm written hundreds, thousands really of years before Christ arrived on the scene, We will see him all over its pages. And so, we're going to go quickly. We're going to throw the mental snapshots up on our screen by looking at some verses. And this will be our tour of the greatest chapter uh, that we will read. And so first, God's Word shapes us. God's Word shapes me and it purifies me. And we start right where Michael opened us this morning in his prayer. Verses 9 through 11. A fitting beginning because this is a common memory passage that people like to take from Psalm 119. 
And so it may be well known to you. But it says this. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. How can we keep our way pure by guarding that way according to this word of God? By seeking this word with our whole heart, we don't wander. We are kept on the right track, on the right path. By storing up this word in our hearts, God keeps us from sin. Indeed, this is a, a, a passage well worth memorizing it. And it doesn't take much, especially as we read through God's word, for us to understand, I am not pure before a holy and righteous God. And apart from God's mercy, which we will get to in due course, apart from God's mercy, there's no way I measure up to these standards. I can't. And yet, God calls us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, to strive after the purity of that image with which we are stamped. And how do we do that? We do that by devoting ourselves to this word. We discipline ourselves, we test ourselves, we push ourselves to conform to the righteousness that our Creator would have for us by immersing ourselves in this word and by bathing ourselves in its richness. And so as this powerful weapon would do its work of pruning and and sharpening and purifying... We must pick it up time and time again and wield it time and time again. Because if you would be changed by the Word of God, then you must busy yourself with learning the Word of God. And so we meditate on it. That's what it means to to store it up in our hearts. We don't just read it and put it back on the shelf. We chew on it. We take one of these 176 verses and we We write it down on on a card or we put it in our phone or we put it on a computer and we, we force ourselves to see it over and over again. And because by seeing it and reading it and memorizing it and chewing on it, it purifies us. God's Word shapes us. But God's Word does another thing. It, It not only shapes us and purifies us, it separates us from the world. And this may sound a bit odd at first. Aren't we to be in the world? And we are, but we are to be separate from the world, even as we're in it. And so God gives us a tool to to keep us divided. We see that in verses 29 through 32. The psalmist says, Put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Or another way of translating that, I will run in, your, in, the, I will run in the way of your commandments when you set my heart free. When you grow my heart and it swells with 
the joy and the wisdom and the richness of your word, then I'm set free from the false teachings and, and all that is around me that would cling to me and drag me down that this world brings. Later in the psalm, if we, if we were to flip over to verse 118, we get a great contrast with this. In, in 29 through 32, the psalmist cries out to be free from falsehood and shame. And then over in verse 118, he says to God, you spurn all who go astray from your statutes, for their cunning is in vain. All the wicked of the earth you discard like dross. Therefore, I love your testimonies. Those who go astray from God's law are connivers, deceivers, and God sheds these wicked men and women like dross. Dross is the, anything you throw away, fit for the rubbish heap. But specifically, dross was usually used to describe what happens when you melt metal. You heat it to purify it. You take gold or silver and you put it in the crucible and you heat it until it, until it bubbles up and turns to liquid and this stuff would rise to the top. It was all the impurities. That was the dross. And then the metal worker would scrape that off and just throw it down into the fire. And that's the image we have of God and the wicked. Those who would cling to the falsehood of this world will be cast aside. Like the impurities that keep our gold and our silver from being truly valuable. And the word of God is what allows us to be separated from that process. It's what God uses to separate us from the falsehood and the treachery and the wickedness that this world offers. And so so by separating us from the world, it allows us to be conformed to His image by, by sharpening us, but it allows us to be protected in a way that God can see and use and hold up for the world to know. And God's Word does another thing. Not just to us, as it sharpens us, and as it separates us from the world, but God's Word demonstrates to us God's faithful promises. And it's not just about what God does to us, it's also about what God did for us. And for example, our snapshot in in verse 38, 39, and 40 says this. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts and your righteousness. Give me life. And here the psalmist describes the fear of the Lord, the discipline that can come from disobedience, and and the possibility that life may be a gift from the only one who can make life out of nothing. But, But the anchor of all of this, verse 38, confirm to your servant your promise. That's what causes us to fear God. The promise that God has made. This is the foundation, the promise unto life itself. Not because of our righteousness or 
our perfect obedience, but because of what God has declared. And if we skip down a stanza of the song, look down to verse 49. His promises continue. Remember your word to your servant, in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. I can have hope, but what's the source of that hope? Not merely in what I do, not merely in what I read, but the fact that it is all anchored in the promise of a God who never fails, who never ceases to keep the covenants He makes. It is in the promise of a God who gives life. The source of my hope is in the promise of a mighty God, of a God who can inspire man to write 176 verses so that we can treasure them and dwell on them. Three snapshots. God's Word shapes me. God's Word separates me. And God's Word demonstrates His promises. And I sort of feel like the guy doing the slideshow needs to stop <laughs> and say, okay, take a mental break because there's so much here that we can easily be overwhelmed. And so just let your mind sort of stretch and relax for a minute. Um, and, and actually, as I was preparing over the last uh, couple of weeks, I was reminded more than once of a, an experience that our family had um, several years ago. First time we ever went to Washington, D.C., uh, and we kind of laid out a couple of days of this is what our tour is going to look like. We're in a historical place. There's much to see. How are we going to get through it all? And the first place we went was to the Smithsonian. Now, if you've been to the Smithsonian, you know that it's not just a building. It is a lot of buildings, big campus, lots of stuff, right? So we started in the American History Museum, which is where you see all that cool stuff about sort of Americana. Kermit the Frog is there. Dorothy's red slippers are there. All of the first lady's ball gowns are there. So, you know, anyway, just all sorts of things from American culture. And I realized after two or three hours, we had a problem. So I huddled everybody up and I said, okay, here's the deal. We've got a full agenda of all these things we're going to do today. We've been here for almost three hours. We've seen less than 25% of this building. (laughs) We got two choices. We can keep doing this and it will be fun and we'll learn a lot and we'll enjoy our time here. But this is all we're going to see is this building all day. Or we can pick up the pace We can skip some of the signs, we can pass by some of the displays of the exhibits, and we can try to skim over as much as possible and get on to the rest of our day and the monuments and whatever else we're going to see. Either way would be well worth our time, but we can't do both. And I kind of feel like that's how Psalm 119 works. You can dwell for a long time on one stanza, eight verses, and you can just pull more and more and more out of it to feed your soul. But that's not what we're doing this morning. We're doing the tour. And so sometimes on a tour when you're moving fast and you're trying to keep up, it's just helpful to breathe a minute, which is what we're doing. And we're looking at how does the Word of God affect us? And how do we praise God for what He's done? in his scriptures, not just in this psalm, but in all of scripture. And so this 
is our little tour of snapshots. And we continue on with snapshot number four. The Word of God displays God and, and specifically displays God's character to us. The Word of God displays God's character to us. Let me read for you, starting in verse 57, uh, an entire stanza, an, an eight-line section of this psalm. 57 through 64 reads like this. The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. I entreat your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. At midnight, I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. I'm a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. Here's something interesting about this particular stanza. If you look at the end of the lines, they all use a different word in place of the word Word, with a capital W. What's the Word of God? And there's actually eight words here that get repeated over and over again in Psalm 119. And if you trace the use of these words, it's fascinating to see how they weave in and out of the psalm and how each one carries sort of a different flavor of what the Word of God does and how they put on display the God who wrote this Word. And so the words... If you skim down through them, you would see, first in verse 57 at the beginning, just your words. God's word is God's word. But then you would see in verse 58, your promise. And you continue on, your testimonies, your commandments, your law, your rules, your precepts, and your statutes. And a lot of the commentators pick up on these eight words as as a way that the psalmist is trying to display the variety of, of the usefulness of the Word of God in the display of who who this God is. I mean, and if you think about this idea that the Word of God displays the character of God, it sort of makes sense. I mean, going back to this to our DC trip, I can describe to you. Washington, uh, 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 George Washington, right? And I could say, well, um, he was sort of a gentleman farmer and he was involved in the Revolutionary War. He became our first president. You know, I can give you a lot of facts and that would be interesting and it would tell you some things about who he is and the type of man he is. Or I could hand you a copy of his first address to Congress. Or, or I could read to you George Washington's speech on the first proclamation of Thanksgiving Day. I could give you his own words. And if you read his own words, you would see that he wasn't just a farmer and a revolutionary and a politician. He was a man deeply devoted to God who, who saw that all that had happened in his life and in, the, in, and in history, really, was under the sovereign hand of God. And you would learn so much more about his character by reading his own words than what I could communicate by just telling you what he did. And so it is with our God. 
I can tell you what God's done. I can tell you from Scripture what He's done. I can tell you from my own life what He's done. And, and you might be impressed. You might be amazed because God is amazing. Or you can read His words and you can hear from His own voice. This is the kind of God that I am. And in this stanza, you see, this is a God who gives us His word. A God who is gracious because of His promises. This is a God whose testimonies, whose stories cause us to act in certain ways because of the power of those testimonies. This is a a God who lays out commandments for us and expects our obedience. This is a God who has given us a law to keep us from being ensnared by the wickedness of this world. This is a God who gives us righteous rules and whose righteousness is available for us all the time. This is a God whose precepts are kept no matter what. And and whose words draw us together in a bond of unity like no other. And this is a, a God whose steadfast love is poured out over all the earth. Those are the characters you, characteristics you see in this little stanza of eight lines. God's word displays God's character. God's word gives us wisdom. Verses 98 through 100 say this. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. And and perhaps it's not really a surprise that we would describe Scripture as imparting wisdom. I mean, we sort of know those of us that have been around very long at all, that this is part of what the Bible does, right? Proverbs 31, the wise woman. All of Proverbs, for that matter, the wise life. Um, Our home group right now is going through the book of James, which is often called the epistle of wisdom, sort of the New Testament version of the the wisdom books. And, And we know that in many ways, wisdom is part of what Scripture does. But consider some of the other areas that that our Scripture speaks to. You want to understand God's perspective on wealth in the material world? Read Ecclesiastes. He'll tell you. You want to understand about relationships and family dynamics, especially the hard family dynamics of our society and mixed families? Read the book of Ruth. You want to understand about romance? Marriage, read the Song of Songs. It gives you wisdom for your marriage. Business, government, people skills, leadership, management, discernment. We see the leaders of God, Moses, uh, Joshua, Ezra, Nehemiah, Samuel, David, on and on. We see them display all of these qualities well and not so well. And we learn wisdom from what they did right and what they did wrong. God's Word gives us wisdom 
if we'll only take the time to draw out of it what God would offer from cover to cover. Well, God's Word not only gives us wisdom, God's Word gives us life. People refer to this as the bread of life in some ways. And the psalmist, starting in verse 156, describes this idea. The psalmist says, Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. Many are my persecutors and my adversaries, but I do not swerve from your testimonies. I look at the faithless with disgust because they do not keep your commands. Consider how I love your precepts and give me life according to your steadfast love. And in those four lines, the psalmist expresses how the Word of God is a source of life for those who would dwell in it. And, you know, over the years, I've I've heard lots of folks, many of you here, express thanks to God for life in one way or another. I mean, you know, it's, it's a common thing to do, right, when we hear of tragedy or, or some horrible experience or some, uh, something far off where people have lost their lives and we're just grateful, knowing it could have been me, it could have been here, it could have been some of us. And, and so we express our thanks to God for life, and it is a gift, and we should. But have you ever said, like the psalmist, God, give me life according to your rules, You see, it's not just God gives you life, there you go. It's God has designed and created and orchestrated and there's more to life than just the breath that you took when you came from your mother. There's the very breath of God breathed into the Word which makes life full and rich. God's the Creator He sustains life. He determines when it begins, when it ends. It's His rules that determine how the game of life gets played. And so, yes, life is a gift, but life according to the rules of God is a treasure, a blessing. And by diving deep into the Word of God, we can learn more and more what it means to live by the grace of God. And we can echo with the psalmist the song, Give me life according to your steadfast love, O God. And we see these little snapshots. We see how God does so much through the Word of God, uh, the Word. We see how He shapes us. We see how He separates us. We see in God's Word the demonstration of God's promises and the display of God's character. We get the gift of life through the word of life and we receive wisdom divinely through the words on the page. But our final snapshot of the morning and and the picture that I want to really leave imprinted on our minds is that this word of God points to Jesus. Psalm 119 does this in all manner of ways. And this alone would be enough to keep you busy for hours or days of study. If you want a task, go to Psalm 119 and look for Jesus. 
you will find him in some very subtle ways because this psalm actually foreshadows the incarnation, the man who walked the earth. Because after all, if this is the word of God praised, then the word of God made flesh should show up. And so little things, subtle things. Verse 53 in Psalm 119 says, Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. The Gospel of Matthew records Jesus going into the temple and in a divinely controlled rage, driving from the temple courts those who have illegally turned his house of prayer into a den of robbers. The hot indignation of those who forsake your law is put on display in the man, Jesus Christ. In verse 136, our psalmist says, My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. Luke tells the story of Jesus looking out over the city of Jerusalem and weeping, being reduced to tears as he says, how I long to gather you, but this disobedient and hard-hearted people will not receive the grace that God is offering. My eyes shed tears. Because people do not keep your law. Verse 148 says, My eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promise. And the writer Mark describes how Jesus would get up while it was still dark before anyone else was awake and he would go and find a solitary place where he could be alone with God and he could pray. And as I wake before the watches of the night, I meditate on your promise. Over and over again, we can find these little foreshadowings, these little descriptors of what it means to see the word made flesh and then played out in the picture of Jesus Christ. But, but I don't want you to mistake this. This is not like some secret code, okay? This isn't like, okay, find all the little clues and, and see who Jesus is. It's a foreshadowing. It's a descriptor of the word made flesh, but it's not like, okay, we've got this carpenter from Nazareth, and if he fits enough of the verses, okay, maybe he's the Messiah. No, this word of God is the embodiment of all that God is, and so is Jesus. He is God's wisdom. He is God's mercy. He is God's holiness. He is God's power. And so when we go through here and we, we praise the word of God for putting on display the character of God, we are praising the person of Jesus for living it out. When we praise the word of God for giving us the wisdom of God, we are praising the person of Jesus for living it out. All of this, all of the word is on display in who Jesus Christ is. One of the common reactions when people read through Psalm 119 the first time, or, or if you read through it quickly, one of the common reactions, and I've, I, I can say this, was, I've done this too, is to question whether our psalmist might be just a bit arrogant. Because some of these verses sound a little bit, huh, 
really, you have fulfilled all of the commands? He says he has. Really, you live the righteousness of all of God's rules? Really? And so it would be easy to be distracted and to say, well, how do I make use of this psalm? I have not done these things. I don't live out the commands of God. I don't follow the rules of his righteousness. But don't make, don't make the mistake of thinking that the psalmist is so naive that he thinks he could actually live out all that the law of God requires. Because he also, as we've seen, treasures the promises of God, that delivers the grace of God. He treasures what God has done, not just what he has done. And Psalm 119 is absolutely peppered with prayers for God's mercy. We know that the psalmist sings the praises of the law of God, but at the same time, he praises the God who promises life. And we also see the psalmist cringe under his own disobedience and his own weakness. And we feel this tension. And even now, those of us that know Christ should feel this tension of, God has saved me. Praise God that I have His righteousness. And yet I strive to fulfill what God would require of me. And I long to live according to the call of God, laid out in the Word of God. And so, I want to leave us with the very last stanza of Psalm 119, starting in verse 169. And I want us to think, as we listen to these words, about Jesus, about the plea that the psalmist makes for the deliverance of a Savior who is yet to come when these words were penned. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. My lips pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you, and let your rules help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commands. Father, we, like this psalmist, have gone astray. We are wearisome sheep who run about. And God, I pray that just as your servant who wrote these words committed himself to not forgetting your commandments, I pray, God, that you would, would pour your commandments into our lives, pour your law into our hearts, that we would know our desperate need for our Savior. God, may these ancient words, even as we sang this morning, change us and cause our hearts to be shaped more like the heart of Christ. And God, may we richly treasure this word 
that shows us who you are, who shows us who your son is, who shows us who we are. And God, may we rejoice in the work that your son did to fulfill all that's written in your law and to give us the gift of that righteousness, of that life, and all the blessings that we can find in your word, which are now ours because of Christ. Amen. for joining us. For more information about our church, please visit our church's website at kishbible.org. That's K-I-S-H-Bible dot O-R-G.